welcome to the Next Wave podcast brought to you by Headstream. Headstream believes in the powerful potential of digital platforms to uplift and empower youth well-being. Through vulnerable, valuable, evolving, and supportive connections being built into online spaces. Learn more about Headstream, an initiative by Second Muse, at headstreaminnovation.com. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to this episode of The Next Wave. We are so excited to introduce Allie. She is one of our Headstream fellows, and she has been working on a project for the past four months really exploring and complicating the idea of vulnerable connection. She's an undergraduate student at Ohio State University studying social work. And we are so excited to really go through this idea of what well-being means on digital spaces for young people with her. And so, Ali, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you guys for having me and for the great introduction. I'm so happy to be here and really looking forward to discussing this topic with you both. I'm really glad that you're here because throughout this fellowship, you have brought a huge level of determination and resilience where hopefully we'll be able to talk about how there were moments in your project where you needed to make a decision of changing the trajectory of your project, changing your approach to answering some of the questions that you made. And you did all of this as you were balancing being a full-time student, managing a job, and the fact that you are still able to produce just an amazing amount of insight while still managing a really complex life. I'm just really, really grateful that you have given us the opportunity to witness that and to learn from you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So Ali, I'm just so curious. This entire fellowship, we've pretty much gone through the idea of well-being. What does well-being mean? How do we facilitate it on digital spaces? So many questions around well-being. But in order to really unpack this, I want to ask you, Yvonne and I both want to know, what does wellness or well-being actually mean to you? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I also love how you're asking each of the fellows this question because something that I have really come to learn through this fellowship is that well-being is definitely subjective and it changes over time, kind of depending on someone's current situation and a lot of other factors, which I think is why oftentimes definitions of well-being are vague because they really try to encompass everyone's meaning of wellness and well-being. And actually, at the start of this fellowship, I just Googled like well-being definition. And what came up was the state of being comfortable, healthy, or happy. And although I do like this definition, you can really get that sense of vagueness and it doesn't really give any personalization. And after this fellowship and kind of through this journey, I have come to think of well-being as being threefold. And those three different aspects include physical health, spiritual health, and mental health. And then being well and having a good sense of well-being includes being 
and taking care of each of those three aspects to me, really. I'm smiling right now because these three mind, body, spirit is, is essentially what you're talking about. And it's something that traditional wisdom, uh, a lot of just cultures around the world have recognized that mind, body, spirit, or our physical, spiritual, and mental well-being really encompasses our overall well-being. And it's weird on how culturally we prioritize physical wellness over other types of wellness. What made you consider spiritual wellness and mental wellness, knowing that at least in the time that we live now, physical wellness takes the forefront? What sort of allowed you to think, yes, physical wellness, but spiritual and mental wellness also need to be part of the equation? Yeah, I think it's really just from seeing that people can look very physically healthy and they put on this persona and image of them being very physically healthy, but they don't have an overall good sense of well-being, which is really why I started to think, okay, there has to be something else. There has to be more in play with this. And that's why I really included the mental aspect because I really think your mind has to do with everything because your thoughts kind of produce your actions and behaviors. And I'm just a really firm believer that everything is related And that includes that external world that we may not know about, which is kind of what I think of and include in the spiritual health. So I really just believe and think that well-being encompasses a lot more than just physical health. And it includes those two other aspects for sure. I love that, Ali. You both said it. You're smiling, I'm smiling. And not only that, like I'm really thinking about how those three different elements, exactly to what you said, become different based on who's thinking about them and they become really personalized. And so I really appreciate that insight. And I think now when I think about the role of digital technology, social space, social digital spaces, what do you see the connection between youth wellness with the definition that you provided for us and the social technologies? Yeah. So I actually kind of think as youth wellness and digital spaces, their connection really as a kind of double edged sword in By that, I mean, there are really two sides to this relationship and connection. So on one end of the sword, it's sharp and uncovered and the blade is exposed and it can definitely leave some wounds. And we'll give an example of this. So let's say that a teen girl is following all these mainstream accounts and her feed is just full of pictures of a woman and not just ordinary pictures, but these photos that are flawless and so model-esque and posed and the hair's perfectly done, makeup looks perfect, almost like it's natural, which then gives the appearance that they have this flawless, poreless skin and they're a size zero. And it just creates this image that is just like, oh my gosh, wow, it's almost, you kind of have to take back and you're like, is this real? But this girl, she keeps on seeing these images, they're repeated throughout her feed. And then 
she also is seeing that these images are getting a bunch of praise and these images are the ones that are getting attention from other people. So kind of unconsciously, this teenage girl then starts to associate self-worth with physical appearance. And then she continues to kind of base her self-worth off of looks. And of course, we can't blame this teenage girl or anyone, in fact, for believing this, because when you're young and growing up, you really just believe what you see and you believe what you're told. You don't really question anything. You just are kind of going with the flow and what you see is what is true to you. And a lot of us know as we get older, that kind of changes. And then, yeah, so I guess we'll go to the other end of the sword because I said it's double-edged. We'll do the other end. And this other end of the sword is shielded. So that blade isn't exposed anymore. It's covered and it can definitely do a lot less damage. So we'll use that same example of the teen girl. But this time, the account she's following really prioritize inclusivity and authenticity in the content they display. So maybe they have all types of body images and figures represented. They talk about building up character and being kind and being genuine and being just a nice person. But then they also are showing women that are being praised for their accomplishments and they're being praised for their work rather than just their looks and beauty. So all these examples kind of really point to the intent and content of quality that social technologies are putting out. So it's kind of like a machine. I sort of think of it as a machine. So if you're putting in bad and superficial content, you're going to get out bad and superficial impacts and messages to other people. But on the other hand, if you put in good and genuine content, then you'll create genuine and real impacts on people. That imagery of a double-edged sword where one end can be painful and cause harm, but the other end can be used as a tool where I can feel empowered, I feel supported and being authentic and genuine, I see diversity. I think that's a very nice imagery to utilize, specifically because a lot of the social media platforms, a lot of these technologies that we're talking about, they really just emphasize a lot of the dominant standards of what we consider desirable. And so it's not like social media is intrinsically good or bad. It's how we create it that really creates this machine that it creates superficial outcomes or creates genuine vulnerable outcomes. And so knowing that we have an ability to influence these spaces, what would you desire or what would be your hopes for these digital spaces in the future as they continue to welcome young people into their platforms, as young people continue to navigate relationships and growth through these digital platforms? How would you wish these digital spaces to be for young people? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what I desire and what other people would also back me up on is that the creators and the people putting out this content really think about 
what they're creating before kind of running that machine. So they really take a step back to think, okay, what impact do I want to have? What message do I want to be sending out to these people and users that are going to be observing and taking in this information? And I also think they have to kind of realize just how impactful this message can be and take that into consideration and just being very aware of what their intent is. And hopefully that is good. We can all hope that is good as I'm sure that's what a lot of the people have. So remembering that and then putting in and creating this good content and genuine content and real content that will allow people to then see this, impact them in a positive way. And then it'll just kind of have a ripple effect. So then it will be multiple machines running and then creating this whole factory of goodness and just happy thoughts and genuine content and positive outcomes that will then go from one factory to, you know, being a whole city. And then, you know, maybe it'll be an entire world that is just full of good, positive outcomes and really just people thinking the best and believing the best in when they open media and then applying that also to the outside world. Yvonne, I don't know about you, but are you excited to like live in this world? Because I'm stoked to have those types of technologies at the tip of my fingers. (laughs) It really sounds like we're talking about societal transformation. You know, it really sounds like what we're talking about is that we can radically transform the way we experience wellness if the only thing that we change is our intention. Like intentionality can really change the impact and not just intention in the way I wake up in the morning, but intention in the way I design products, intention in the way I engage with these tools And I will agree with Ellie. I think that sometimes may not be enough. Intention may not be enough, but it can make such a radical shift in the way we create relationships with each other. So yeah, it is exciting. And it makes me really wonder now, you talked about like the ways in which from the inception of these things and with its intention, how it can really transform and impact individuals. And I'm just wondering through this experience as like, I feel like we just went on a a journey with you about understanding youth wellness on digital spaces. I'm wondering how have your beliefs about youth wellbeing in digital spaces been impacted by the work you've done as a Headstream fellow? Like what were assumptions that were challenged? What were things that were affirmed? Yeah, I would love to hear about your own personal learning journey in this space. Yeah, you can definitely say it's been a journey. And I have realized just so many things that I am so thankful for. And ultimately, I think from this fellowship, I have genuinely realized just how impactful digital spaces really are on youth well-being. And I can say that after this fellowship, I truly believe that they have the ability to tear down. But also on the other hand, I think they also have the ability to build up and kind of restore someone's wellness. And I never, never would have thought this or even said it before doing this fellowship, which I think 
just kind of proves that we don't really realize how important and impactful these platforms really are until we start to dissect them and really start to unpack them and look at them on a much deeper level and kind of from my project and really unraveling these ideas of wellness and well-being relating to digital platforms and youth and just kind of an overall sense of happiness and contentness I have really started to find that it is all about connection and that people are really just yearning for connection whether that is through these digital spaces or in person or it's just someone to understand what they're going through. I really believe that everyone is looking for some sort of connection and ability to relate to others. And I have come to learn that one of the best ways to create this connection is to truly be real, authentic, and vulnerable. That was an entire masterclass in there. You highlighted how every single person has a basic need to be seen, to be heard for who they are truly, and how social media, social technologies can really allow for that connection to be experienced so that people authentically feel seen, so that they authentically feel heard, and that this alone can restore a person's feelings of their own worth. It can restore how they see themselves, how they see themselves in relationship to others. Can you tell us more about the role of vulnerability in a person's ability to be well as they build connections? Why is vulnerability so important? Yeah, of course. And I think through kind of this research I've done and through this project, and I also think some of my coursework from my social work classes definitely plays into this, but a majority of this has been from this fellowship and kind of seeing it firsthand and hearing stories from other people. I have really come to realize that vulnerability is the key to connection which is kind of crazy to think about because that's not at all what society tells us. Society definitely tells us that we need to be independent, we need to be strong, we need to be tough, and we really need to just kind of be this whole Hulk-like figure, but eternally. And in reality, I don't think we need to be any of those things. I believe that we as human beings need to be connected and have a sense of belonging. And these actual necessities are found from being open and genuine and real in all aspects of your life. Because when someone isn't real and open in all aspects of their life or even some aspects of their life, they really block out that ability to connect with others because without openness, the ability to connect in interactions truly just become fake. So I have really come to believe that in order to have an authentic connection, you first have to be 
vulnerable and real with yourself before you can then be vulnerable and ultimately connect with others. We are hitting layers here. I really, really appreciate the way you're presenting not just the role of vulnerability and its potential, but how important and how delicate it is. And how if we are not really showing up in a way that is real and authentic, then people will respond to what we present. And so if what we present as fake, then what we will receive from people will land as fake. But if we show up vulnerable and authentic, individuals will be responding to that authenticity. But I can't help but think that sometimes being vulnerable sucks. Sometimes being vulnerable is painful. Because people around me could take advantage of it. People around me could not necessarily respect how I show up when I am being vulnerable. So from your experience in doing this work that you have been doing in the fellowship and your undergraduate program, what are some of the barriers that make it difficult to be vulnerable as we're building human connection? Yeah, what you said is definitely a barrier that is commonly used throughout society. And it's something that I definitely believed. And I think it goes back to what those societal messages are. They're really telling us that we have to be tough and we have to be guarded in order to protect ourselves from being hurt. But in reality, it also is kind of guarding ourselves from also being able to be loved and being able to be accepted and being able to be connected because kind of going back to that double-edged sword, you kind of really can't have one without the other, kind of like you can't know good without the bad. So if you don't really allow yourself to embrace that vulnerability and you know what, maybe allow that opportunity to get hurt, just going kind of into a situation and thinking, you know what, this might turn out bad if I go in full force and I be who I am and be authentic and be genuine, but it also can end up awesome. And I can be accepted finally for what I am rather than this artificial, superficial version of myself that I've created because I thought that's what I needed to be. When in reality, that just isn't what it is at all. And that's really kind of, I think, one of the main barriers is that kind of fear in being vulnerable and fear that it's going to lead to being hurt. And I think people have to kind of reframe it and look at it as, okay, well, this can also allow me to be felt. This can also allow me to build a real deep connection that can go way beyond what I am imagining. This, honestly, when I think about all of these barriers that you're addressing or talking about need to get broken down in terms of facilitating and allowing vulnerability to come out, I immediately think of your project from this fellowship And I think our listeners would really like to hear how did your project attempt to really break down some of these barriers? Yvonne, you can also speak on this. You've seen this project unfold. And I think both of us are just really excited to see like how you created something that really begins to break down these barriers and facilitate and allow vulnerability and authenticity. So I'd love to hear you speak on that some more. 
Yeah, I would love to talk about my project because this has really been what we said these past four or five months would be about. It's kind of funny because everything that I've been talking about is really just stuff that I've learned along the way while trying to ultimately create this project. And I really think of my project as a toolkit. And what really influenced this toolkit was the feedback I got from conducting interviews, discussions, and surveys with adolescents. And because I am a student at Ohio State, a lot of the adolescents I talked to were also students on the college age, but also surveys and other stuff had further outreach. So there is a lot more than just the college age aged voice, but I would say that's definitely a majority of the feedback I got was from this group. So the toolkit that I created is really meant to help with the mental aspect of well-being. And I kind of think of it as kind of like a mental health starter kit. So it's composed of three parts. The first part is really all about talking about mental health and how to do that. And then the second part is quick and effective coping skills that can be done if you're feeling down or really in need of some extra self-love. And then the last section of the toolkit provides more in-depth resources for specific topics that were brought up in my discussions and interviews with people. And I really think this entire toolkit focuses on that first stage of connection that I mentioned earlier, which is being vulnerable with yourself. And being vulnerable with yourself means you look at and examine those feelings and situations that maybe aren't the best. They aren't those happy sunshine and rainbow moments that you think of. But you address these feelings and situations and you learn from them. So I really envision my project to be a tool that can help people break down those internalized stigmas that they have within themselves that they've kind of created. And then by breaking down these stigmas, they will be able to create these vulnerable connections with other people. The really amazing thing about your project, Ali, is that a lot of what you're talking about, it's not just from the discussions that you created and that you facilitated. It's not just the research. It's very much the experience of the project. You needed to face some of these barriers. You needed to tear them down so that you could welcome some of your peers into having these conversations. And so I really see a lot of value and a lot of lessons not just in what you are creating for us, but how you came to create it. To some extent, I would consider you an expert of some sort because helping folks navigate some of these barriers so that they can talk about their own well-being is something that a lot of us could benefit from. Recognizing that there's a certain level of expertise in the room with Mina, with you, some of the work that I've done, I would like to hear some of your thoughts. What is some of the advice that you would give young people? It could be just advice that you've had in your own life, advice that comes from your experience in this project. What would you let young people know as they're going through a rough time? 
how is it that vulnerability can help them navigate those rough times? Yeah, I love that question. And I definitely think it's something that I've kind of, before this project, I was really searching for an answer to this. And I think just this whole journey has kind of, I don't want to say it's the ultimate answer because, of course, every situation is unique and not everything works for everyone. But I think something that can definitely help to start and kind of make this journey of getting through this tough time a lot easier is to first and foremost, go back to being vulnerable with yourself. So really start by focusing on you. And that's not selfish. People are going to try to tell you that's selfish. That's what society says. Oh, you should always be thinking about how others feel. But I think at the end of the day, when you're in these tough situations, you have to sit back and think, what am I feeling? What is best for me? Really look into yourself and focus on yourself and kind of don't go back to what you've been told by other people or what you think you should do. So don't try to ignore those feelings or don't think that you're inferior, that you have some kind of personal shortcoming because you're feeling this way, because that's not true at all. Everyone has these feelings. And I think that it would definitely be easier to go back to those things. So go back to ignoring those feelings, go back to keeping to yourself. But as the saying goes, nothing good comes easy. So I really think you have to take the time to learn and know yourself because this will kind of lead to a journey and really start this journey of self-love. And when you have that inherent self-love and that self-respect, you will just kind of automatically and subconsciously take the time to do things for yourself that you know are good, to do things that you know make yourself feel better. And then you will ultimately be able to kind of enhance that mood and hopefully learn to get out of that tough time. And like I said, I really just think it goes back to taking time to be real with yourself, be authentic with yourself and be vulnerable with yourself. Yvonne, I don't know about you, but this is hitting me so deep in every way. Every time I'm listening to Ali talk, I'm just thinking about all of these ways that I can implement this in my own life. I was just about to say, I was going to ask you how this is landing for you because I know you've worked with young people for some time now. And I can only imagine how many stories or interactions are coming up to that are basically agreeing with what Ali is saying on how folks are really able to hold their own after they've taken some time to really just explore who they are and be at peace with who they are. What do you think? What are your thoughts in terms of of what Ali is saying right now? Honestly, the first things that come to mind are just if young people could really be okay and like really look within themselves to address these things, all of those things about vulnerability, self-authenticity, all of these things, it would really allow them to propel forward. But something that I so often see in like the young kids that I work with or even just young teens or even early college students is that 
the culture that exists from social platforms is really just a mirror of our outside society. And that's right. It's that culture that ultimately makes them afraid of being vulnerable and blocks them from allowing themselves to be authentic and replicating a culture of dichotomies on media or hiding aspects of their true self or getting lost in the things that don't really uplift their well-being. And okay, Ali, I just have to ask with all of the things that we we've, we've been talking about about how to support young people during their tough moments because so much of these tough moments happen on social media or digital platforms where when they're in crisis they go to their media a lot of times these platforms can trigger certain issues within their mental health and their well-being and so how do you think that digital platforms or social technologies can really empower young people to be vulnerable how can this space really be part of breaking down those barriers and allowing for that self-reflective path to being vulnerable yeah that's a great thought and i love kind of that back and forth that you and avon just had because everything you both have said i think is so true and so real and I think what I imagine for these social technologies is for them to kind of become more diverse and real and inclusive and kind of embrace that authenticity that I feel like is just a word that's been repeated throughout this whole chat is just being authentic. And I really think that when these platforms are diverse and inclusive, youth will be able to see themselves represented in these technologies and on these platforms and in media. And this representation will really allow them to be able to relate and allow them to be able to have a sense of belonging, which will then kind of create this connection within them that I think has an impact like we've kind of examined far beyond what a lot of people realize. But also I think this change of being more authentic and diverse and real will also kind of create new norms within society. And these new norms can generate love and empathy and genuineness, which I think are all emotions and all feelings that not only help encourage, but also really support vulnerability. One of the things that I am really taking away from this conversation with you is one, that we are social creatures. We are designed to thrive through connection with people that make us feel valuable and people that we remind them of their value. But we cannot do this to our fullest potential unless we know who we are, unless we're at peace with who we are. And I think that goes to what you were saying earlier about this is not selfish, even though some people might point fingers and say you're being selfish for dedicating time to yourself. There is a certain balance where by understanding ourselves, by investing time in ourselves, we will be able to show up and build better vulnerable connection with those around us so that we can be healthy social creatures. 
Yeah, and even jumping off of that, Yvonne, it that idea of becoming these healthy social creatures that are really building vulnerable connection with one another that we've all been saying it, that transforms society. That is like the very early steps and seeds of building an equitable society, one that is built off of genuine growth and love and empathy, all of these things that you've been talking about, Ali, which I'm just so sparked and jazzed by everything that you said. And we're just so grateful to have had you as a fellow. And I'm so excited to see the ways in which you will grow and continue to be vulnerable and continue to build connection within yourself, with your communities and how that will end up being a source of social change. And so Honestly, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us today. I think all of our listeners are probably like, wow, I, I'm going to go out and make some vulnerable connections today. I need to go break down these barriers. That's what I'm feeling right now. I have an idea. I have an idea. So we're really one of the biggest takeaways from the conversation that three of us is having is the role of vulnerability with ourselves and how that can really impact the way we're vulnerable with others. And so I'm wondering if we can take a couple of minutes and go around the room, even though we're not in the same room. Thank you, COVID-19. If we could go around the room and share a moment in our life that had helped us become more vulnerable with ourselves. The reason I, I think this would be a good idea is because Ali earlier said that different things work for different people. And advice sometimes just doesn't land. Sometimes we need to hear that vulnerable experience from others. And I think this might be a good opportunity to show how being vulnerable with ourselves can actually be a real simple but powerful experience. So can we go around the room? Does that sound good? That sounds amazing. Yvonne, you have this gift sometimes where you just, every word that you hear, you know how to translate it and put it into a tangible takeaway and action. And uh, I'm just so in awe of you both. Yes, I would love to have Ali start with that. Um, Yeah, I would love to. And Mina, I agree with everything you just said about Yvonne, even throughout this entire fellowship. He's always coming out with these great activities that although we're like all not in the same room like he said earlier thanks to COVID but he just has this way of creating activities that do create that sense of connection not to use this word (laughs) repeatedly but I don't know what other word to use in the certain time or in the stance so I would love to start with a way that I have been a vulnerable. And I think the first thing that comes to mind, which like I said, isn't all sunshine and rainbows, but I think one thing that I have done that has really helped kind of get to the core of what I'm feeling and help me do some self-discovery is journaling. And I will do most of my journaling late at night. That's just how I am. I I'm not a morning person, so I definitely thrive at the nighttime. So I'll just take some time to look up some journal prompts, something that relates to how I'm feeling. And I'll just really just let it all out. What Whatever I'm feeling, I'll just let it out on paper and continue to write. And ultimately, it can bring up these emotions that are strong, but they're good emotions because after that I'm definitely 
a crier. So after, if something deep comes up, I'll just, after my journaling, I'll just go take a nice long shower, cry it out, listen to some nice music, but then I'll come out feeling refreshed. And ultimately it leads me not instantly, but over the course of days or weeks or months, I will definitely come to learn from that and have something to look back that is tangible, that has helped me kind of be vulnerable and then also look within myself to allow me to connect with others as well. You're really tapping into that inner wisdom that each of us has. Most of us have the best answers for ourselves. And you really just gave us an equation on how one way in which we can tap into those internal answers. I do have one follow-up question. Could you walk me through how you search for journal prompts? I have tried journaling before and I feel like not having appropriate prompts. I haven't had a super emotional journaling experience. And I think a lot of it is because of that lack of prompts. So when you go online and you're searching for prompts, what do you search? Is there a specific website or a couple of websites that you use? Yeah. So actually, the place that I go to get all my journaling prompts is Pinterest. And I know I feel like a lot of people don't realize Pinterest has all these things, but I actually use it to get my journaling prompts. And I'll usually just kind of type in how I'm feeling. So let's say I'm feeling really overwhelmed with maybe my coursework and just outside situations that are going on, I will go in Pinterest, not like Google or anything. And I'll look up journaling prompts for stress or journaling prompts for feeling overwhelmed. And I'll just kind of sift through them. And I think it's really about finding one that resonates with you and finding one that is kind of like, ooh, just kind of makes you take a step back and think a little longer. So I'll do those prompts. And I think the key is, for me, is that it doesn't really matter what the prompt is. I think the prompt is just a starter. I actually set a timer. So just depending, it'll either be five minutes or 10 minutes. And then I have to write nonstop for five minutes no matter what it is, no matter if I'm just writing ABCD, ABCD for the first couple minutes or I'm not really sure what I want to come out, eventually after doing that for so long, by the time it maybe gets to like a minute or two minutes, you'll eventually start to write kind of what is really within you and that's when those emotions will come out. And then lastly, I always try to end all my journaling prompts by thinking of three things I'm grateful just to kind of end on that happy note. And some days it's really easy to think of those three things. It's like boom, boom, boom. I'm thankful for so much right now. But I'm just going to be real on other days. It is definitely harder to think of things that you're grateful for, which I think is also kind of crazy because even during these trying times, I think there is so much that we can be grateful for. So I definitely always like to end my journaling sessions with that. And then honestly, in the spirit of the way you end your journals and taking off from what Yvonne asked us, I want to push forth how can we share one moment of breaking a vulnerable barrier and also one thing that we're grateful for Yvonne I'd love to hear from you about what are those things that have happened in your life or that you experienced that 
broke down these vulnerable barriers and something that you're grateful for? Sure. I'll try to be quick because I can speak for a very long time if I don't control myself. The one event that has been coming up in my mind. So when I was about 13 years old, I went to a youth leadership camp. Shout out to Future Leaders of America, Santa Barbara County. And there was this activity that to this day is visits me in my memories. And there was this activity where we stood up and we were doing this slow clap, like a unity clap. And as we were clapping, we slowly started saying, I am somebody. I am somebody. And we were saying it over and over again, starting at a whisper and then slowly increasing the volume of our voice until all of us, about 80 young people were shouting in this room in the middle of the woods, I am somebody. Now, I'll be honest, I actually could not participate in that activity. Even though I was this confident young person, there was something about myself that actually didn't believe those words. And I remember just feeling chills all over my body and realizing that I didn't believe I was somebody. And then as time went on, and it was in college that that activity came back and it just kind of clicked. And it was this realization that through all of my imperfections, my flaws, through including my gifts, that it is the combination of all of this mess that makes me somebody. And that has been, it's been a journey. It, it didn't happen in that specific activity. When I went to that youth leadership camp, it happened years later, where I really just stood in front of, uh, of a mirror, looked at myself, and, and I said to myself, yeah, I am somebody and this is enough. And that really changed the way I was able to understand myself and, and build relationship with others. So I'll say that specific mantra of I am somebody, I am enough. To this day, it's things that I sometimes need to remind myself. And to say one thing that I am grateful for, this is a little bit cheesy. Please forgive me. I am very grateful for Ali because Ali has really, she has been proof of how our species is resilient. She really faced a lot of hardships and a lot of hurdles as she was trying to put her project into action. And in my weekly check-ins with her, just her ability to look at a curveball and still swing and confidently swing and come up with alternatives, that is something that I'm really grateful that she allowed me to, to witness that process and her ability to just bounce back and keep swinging. So I'm grateful for Ali. Cheesy, I know. But oh, Levon, thank you so much. I'm over here just have this huge grin, and <laughs> I love how you use that curveball analogy because I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually played softball like all growing up, so that was just perfect. Look at that, you've been swinging for a long time. <laughs> uh, another example of Yvonne just emotionally in tune. <laughs> With everybody. Oh my gosh. This love fest. I could honestly just write it forever. No, but seriously, thank you both. Gosh, if I had to give my like my one vulnerable barrier breaking moment, I would have to say when I for a very short while dropped out of school for out of university, I was so afraid to tell people. And I didn't know like how to break that boundary of being vulnerable and honest with my loved ones and the people around me. And it's because of these like social norms, these cultural norms, and a lot of which I was affected by digital spaces and like the ways in which we put up facades. But when I broke that barrier and started to be honest, I feel like I really tapped into my spiritual well-being. I enhanced my capacity to be well by pulling off of these virtues like 
honesty and truthfulness and love and kindness and resiliency and courage. And I feel like it goes back to that double-edged sword Ali was talking about, like whatever is on the side, like the ugly side, you're going to get out the ugly, whatever's on the good side, you're going to get out the good. And I really feel like that was true. And that's why everything you've shared with us, Ali, I feel like it's so true and people will really, really benefit from this just by hearing this and having this idea reinforced, break down those boundaries, be authentic, be real. That's the only way that we can grow. It's the only way we can connect. And then the one thing that I'm grateful for, oh gosh, the one thing, I mean, Yvonne stole my one thing. <laughs> I love <laughs> you, Ali. We can um, all be grateful for the same thing. That's valid. No, you're right. You're right. Definitely. Or in this case, not a thing. Sorry. We can all be grateful for the same person. <laughs> yes. We're all Thank you, Yvonne, for the validation. <laughs> I am somebody. <laughs> there <Yes>. you go. <laughs> I am grateful for the future of what the Headstream innovators are creating because as I listen to this conversation and I'm so grateful for you, Ali, and for all the fellows and for the future of how to empower youth on digital spaces, it just reminds me of like, there is a cohort of innovators and there is, you know, everywhere that are working on building social technologies that are fueled by compassion, that are fueled by the love for empowering young people, empowering their mental health, empowering their different identities, and how to navigate through those tough times and how to be resilient to reach the good. And it makes me excited to see how all of the learnings that you've shared with us can really be translated into a new wave of social technologies. And so I just wanted to thank you again, Ali, for being our, our guest star on today's episode. And Yvonne, as always, you're the best co-host I could have had. So thank you. Right back um, to you. And just thank you to our audience for listening because we really can't ride this new wave of social technologies without you. And so thank you all for joining us and listening to Ali share with us about vulnerable connection and how that is an essential foundational element to enhancing youth well-being on digital spaces. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Ali. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was awesome. And my first podcast. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Bring out that champagne bottle, the red tape, the scissors. <laughs> and let's go ahead and just inaugurate Ali as a formal podcast star. Some confetti, <laughs> confetti popper. You are somebody, Ali. You are somebody. Uh, Have a great rest of your day, Ali. Thanks, you guys Enjoy. too. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Next Wave podcast brought to you by Headstream, an initiative by Second Muse designed to improve and empower youth well-being through digital technologies. Learn more today at headstreaminnovation.com. We'll see you next time on The Next Wave.